Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank podcast. We love God, love people, and love our city. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org. Such a thing should not be done. Such a thing should not be done in our nation. Such a thing should not be done in our city. Family, we have been on this uh, series, Praise God, It's a Girl. We celebrate the birth of a girl child. We celebrate, you know, some cultures, they don't celebrate the birth of a girl child. We need to change that. We need to change that narrative. Today, we'll be looking at the story of Bathsheba and Tamar and how this story teaches about power, consent, and sexual abuse. To lay a foundation before we go into the scripture for today, let's look at... um, what sexual abuse is. Sexual abuse is coercing or attempting to coerce any sexual contact or behavior without consent. Sexual abuse includes, but is certainly not limited to marital rape, attacks on sexual parts of the body, forcing sex after physical violence has occurred, or treating one in a sexually demeaning manner. This is from a book called Family Violence by David M. Lawson. Causes of sexual abuse uh, have been said in so many ways. And my wife recently finished a course on domestic violence. And uh, these are some of the causes that are stated for sexual abuse. Environmental stress. It may be what you're going through at work. It may be social. It may be economic. It may be something that's stressing you. It doesn't give you the right to take out your stress on someone else. The second cause of uh, sexual abuse is learned abuse, something that you may have seen in your family growing up. And we know in South Africa how a lot of young men, they grow up in uh, physically abusive uh, families. can tell you story after story on that. The third cause of sexual abuse is drugs and substance abuse, which is very unfortunate we know the abuse of alcohol in our society. The, the fourth um, cause of sexual abuse is psychological abuse. Maybe someone is having mental illness or mental health issues and they find themselves in a place where they actually are not able to contain themselves. And people like those need to get help. The fifth cause of sexual abuse is cultural influences such as patriarchy, something that we need to actually talk about and spend time and say, how does it look like to build a society where men can be the head and the leader of their families without abusing their power? Men are not leaders or head of the families at work, in the workplace. No, 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 at your home. And also exposure to violent movies, sexual violent movies, and pornography. Those are some of the causes of uh, sexual abuse. The first story that we're going to be looking at is the story of David and Bathsheba. We're going to look at how David committed sin and how David tried to cover up for his sin and finally the consequences of his sin. We read from 1 Samuel chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, please open with me. 1 Samuel chapter 11, we're reading from verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Job 
and his servants with him and all Israel, all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw the roof of a, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful and David sent and inquired about the woman and one said is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. It was said, she's married. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messages and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, meaning she just finished her period. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived and sent to David and told David, I am pregnant. The Bible says in the springtime when kings went to war, David stayed at home. David chose to chill at home instead of being where God wanted him to be at that point in time, being at war with his men. Instead, he sent Joab, one of his mighty men, with all of other men in Israel to go to war. And yet he remained at home. David was not where he was supposed to be. David was supposed to be at war, but he found himself at home. He had just taken an afternoon nap, and while he was walking on the rooftop of his palace and uh, looking around in the city, seeing this woman taking a bath, and uh, David, instead of moving away from that situation, he indulged in the situation and fell into this temptation. He was in a place of power, in a position of power, and instead of using his power to protect, he used his power to cause harm. Biblical scholars have debated this for centuries, whether was this a rape or not. And I'm here to say, even though the Bible does not state clearly that uh, Bathsheba consented to this uh, occasion, to this event, I want to say that David abused his power. David used his power to call someone who was of lesser power than him. I mean, in those days of the king, someone knew, and you don't come, you would be killed. So David abused his power. I have two questions for us men. The first question is, are you where you are supposed to be in the will of God for your life? Secondly, are you using your power to protect or to cause harm? You may be a manager at work, a husband, a father, an uncle, a brother. How are you using your power? Are you using your power to protect or to cause harm? This is not to say that women are not powerful. There are very powerful women out there and women in positions of influence. And the question also applies to you. How are you using your power? Remember the story of uh, uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and how Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with Joseph, and Joseph ran away. The point for us today is such a thing should not be done. Such a thing should not be done. I want to read you something that uh, was in the news last year about this time. Something that happened in the U.S. and it's something that happens a lot even today in South Africa. 
and we say such a thing should not be done. This must stop. This must end. Before stories of his abuse helped launch the Me Too movement, Harvey Weinstein was undeniably one of the most powerful men in Hollywood. Several actresses who filed reports against Weinstein mentioned how he wielded power to abuse them. Roseanne Aquart said that Weinstein made things very difficult for me for years. Uma Thurman mentioned how she confronted Weinstein, but he threatened to derail her career if she reported him. In her interview, Salma Hayek claimed Weinstein's advances could quickly turn into rage. This was in an article by Aaron Mornings on the 4th of June 2019. Sad to say that this well-known man, this powerful figure, used his power to manipulate, to benefit himself, and sadly to treat women as sex object. Such a thing should not be done. To read Bathsheba's story faithfully, we need to understand the power dynamics that existed. David was a king. David was a mighty man. He was a soldier. He was strong physically. He used his power to commit sin. He used his power to, to cause harm. And secondly, David uses his power to cover up for his sin. We read in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 11. So David sent word to Job. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Job sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Job was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to the house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. David was trying hard. Verse 9. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all of the servants, uh, of the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When David was told, Uriah did not go to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Job and the servant of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, the king, and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Such a thing should not be done. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today and also tomorrow, and I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate at his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. Again, David trying very hard. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. David tried to cover up for his sin. He calls Uriah to come home so that Uriah can go sleep with his wife, so David can cover up the fact that he has impregnated Bathsheba. Uriah's 
answer to David is incredible of why he's not going back to his wife and to be with his family. He says, the ark of the Lord is out there. The army, my band of brothers are out there in the open space. Why should I go and lie with my wife and be at home? I want to say that uh, Uriah understood this. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Unlike the king, Uriah was a man of integrity, a man of honor. Even though Uriah was less powerful than David, he was more honorable than David. He knew what was important at the time. Two questions I have for us. Is there something that you're currently trying to cover up or you have been covering up for years? It is time to come out, seek help, speak to someone, get help. And if you have been violated, I want to encourage you to get in touch with our counselors. We have a number on the screen that you can contact or you can fill a form through our website where we can be able to get in touch with you and pray with you and work through the pain that you've gone through with you. Do not let shame keep you down. Shame like mold grows in the dark. Make sure you don't let shame keep you down. In verse 14 to 15, it is ironic that Uriah unknowingly took the letter that orders him killed to Joab. David was hopelessly overwhelmed by the need to cover up for his wrongdoing. He became paralyzed by his guilt. From then on, it's just downhill because David opened the door for immorality in his family. It is very sad to say that David the king opened the door for immorality in his family. We read in verse 26 to verse 27, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning time was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. The word of the Lord says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord was displeased by what David had done. That is why I say to us today, such a thing must not be done. Such a thing should not be done. It must stop. David should have known better. Committing sin, trying to cover up will definitely have consequences. And when we read uh, chapter 12 from verse 1 to 6, we hear how the Lord sent uh, Nathan the prophet to David. And Nathan comes and gives David this case. As a king, he should have known as a judge to judge accordingly, to judge with righteousness and with justice. So uh, Nathan comes to David and Nathan says, David, I've got a story to tell you. There's this case I want you to help me with. There was a rich man in a certain town and a poor man. A rich man had a number of flocks. He was wealthy. He had all that he needed and all that he wanted. The poor man had one ewe lamb that he raised that was in his house that he treated like his own daughter that was on his table all the time. A rich man had a guest who came from far off visiting him. And as is was the custom in those days, a rich man slaughtered an ewe lamb to celebrate and receive the guest. But the rich man did not take from his flock. He went and took the poor man's one ewe lamb and sacrificed it for this guest. 
And Nathan says to David, what do you think should be done? David was kindled with fear, the Bible says. And he says, this man must be killed and he must retain fourfold the lamb that he has taken. We read in verse 7 of chapter 12 how Nathan goes confronting the king and he says, David, you are that man. You are that rich man. You are that man that abused his power. This sounds very familiar. David, you, powerful man, took the lamb of a less powerful man for your own benefit. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Nathan continues to say, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? In verse 10 it says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. There are consequences to our sins because you have despised me, the Lord, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite as your wife. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, and the child who is born to you shall die. And Nathan left. The child who is born to you shall die. We read the rest of the story that the child that Bathsheba gave birth to David died. And David mourned. I want to say that even though David was interested and had genuine concern for justice, he was blinded by his passion and by his lust. So I want to bring it to us, uh, brothers and sisters, particularly for us brothers. Are we so blinded by our passion and our lust that we objectify women, that we objectify the girl child, that we do this inappropriate thing that should not be done. Let us not allow to ourselves to be blinded by passion or lust to the point of dehumanizing women and seeing them as sex objects. I've mentioned this book before, written by Dr. Malose Langa. He did a longitudinal study of 12 men over 12 years in the township of Alexandra. And... Uh, in the study, he wanted to go to the root of sexual abuse and why men treat women the way they do. And he found out that most of these men did not have father figures in their lives or did not have men who modeled how it is to treat women with respect and with dignity. He writes that the boys and young men in this study indulge in risky sexual behaviors in order to gain approval from other male peers. It is therefore important that these practices are continuously interrogated. And he writes about the importance of schools teaching men how to treat women. The importance of churches, us churches teaching young men how to treat women. He writes about how parents should redeem and reclaim their role of teaching men how to treat women with dignity and with respect. In the study, three of the boys impregnated, impregnated their girls at high school, said to say, as he followed their lives, one of them today is married to the mother of the children. Praise God for that. The second one is involved in the life of the child, even though they are not together with the lady. 
The third one is fighting to be involved in the life of the child. There's something different about these boys. They are trying to change a narrative. They're trying to change the story that even though they did not have their fathers present in their lives, they want to be present in the lives of the children. I see this young man as turning generational trauma to generational momentum, a momentum that will be different for future generations, a momentum that will help change how men treat women. I'm reminded of a story of uh, my cousin brother who grew up not knowing his father. And I want to show you a picture of uh, my cousin brother, Kotato. Even though he did not know his father, when he was a tertiary, he impregnated his girlfriend. And today, as we speak, he's involved in the life of his child, changing the narrative, changing the story. As we begin to conclude, the story of uh, David and Bathsheba shows us how David abused his power to commit sin, to try and cover up, and he had to live with the consequences of his sin. Now, we read in chapter 14, just two chapters after David and Bathsheba, the story of Amnon and Tamer. Amnon and Tamer is a story that is making us cringe when we read it in the Bible. We read in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel how the Bible says Amnon, who was one of David's sons, was so obsessed with uh, his half-sister's beauty that he wanted to actually marry her, but it didn't look like he really, really wanted to marry her. We read that... Uh, Amnon was so obsessed that he even felt sick. And his uh, cousin brother, Jonadab, who was a uh, son to Shemaiah, David's brother, advised him, why don't you pretend to be sick and uh, lie down in your bed and then ask the king to send Tamar, your half-sister, to come and uh, serve you a meal in your house, in your bedroom. And uh, poor guy, Amnon listened to bad advice. He listened to Jonadab and he pretended to be sick. And then the king came. David comes to see him as he was on his sick bed. And this is what uh, Amnon says to David. Uh, if you can send um, Tamar to come and save me food, I'll feel good. I mean, David, the king, a man of wisdom, should have read between the lines. At that point, he should have said such a thing should not be done. But David agrees to this plot and allows for Tamar to come and uh, serve Amnon food. We read from verse 10, Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes that she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But she brought them near to him to eat. He took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. Even just those words. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me. Such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king. Speak to the king. 
I believe He will not hold me from you. But He would not listen to her. And being stronger than she is, He violated her and lay with her. I want to pause here and say, Brothers, no means no. No does not need any explanation. As my wife said recently, no is a full sentence. If someone says no, it's a no. You don't need to coerce any further. You don't need to manipulate any further. You don't need to use your power any further. Stop right there. No means no. Said to say that uh, Amnon raped Tamar. And after that, a very sad thing happens. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred. So that that hatred with which he hated her was even greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong of sending me away, it's even greater than the other that you already did to me. But he would not listen. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Remember, David opened the door for immorality in his family. He had lost his moral compass. If only David had said such a thing is not done in Israel. Such a thing is not allowed. When he was first tempted with Bathsheba, I believe this would not have happened. We read the story in the next chapter. After two years, Absalom, Tamar's brother, killed Amnon because of the hatred that he carried for what Amnon did to his sister Tamar. I want to bring it home now. There were six men that were involved around the story of Tamar. What did they do to stop this from happening? Such a thing should not be done. What did they do to stop this rape from happening? How did they use their power to stop this rape from happening? The first one is David, the king. He could have done something by saying to Amnon, No, why do you need Tamar to come to you? Why don't you, you call a nurse to come and help you? In fact, if you are sick, you need a doctor. You don't need a woman. We, we, we look at Absalom, the brother of uh, Tamar, we are told as we read in scripture that as Tamar was crying, going back home, Absalom said, has the brother Amnon been with you? So Absalom seems like he knew something about Amnon and Tamar. He should have done something. We read about Amnon, the perpetrator, who should have known better. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. We, we hear about Jonadab, the cousin brother, who gave a bad advice, who should have been a good brother to Tamar, a good cousin to Tamar, and says, no, ask the king. Do it the right way. Shimea, the brother, uh, the father of Jonadab, how did he raise his son? How did he raise him to treat women with dignity and respect? No, he didn't. And the young man who served Amnon, who was instructed to lock the door, he could have done something, even if it cost him his job. He could have said, no, such a thing should not be done. The consequences of sexual abuse are dire and they are serious. I was listening to a woman speak recently saying that 
brothers, what you don't understand is uh, if you manipulate me, if you coerce me, if you even force me to the point where I feel I have to consent, after the act, you feel that it was great, but you don't know how I feel after the act. The words of these women, they haunt me because we as men, in times where we need to use our power to protect, we've used our power to cause harm. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. So you ask me, Pastor Simon, what do you mean such a thing should not be done in Israel? Such a thing should not be done in our city. Such a thing should not be done in our nation. Sexual sin should not be done. Sexual sin, it's bad. Infidelity, it's wrong. Rape, it's wrong. Treating women as sexual objects, it's wrong. It must stop. As we pray, I want to pray for men who need to come out and say, I've been covering up or I have been abusive to my wife and this must stop. I want to pray for women who have suffered at the hands of their loved ones. I want to pray for women who have been violated. And I also want to encourage you one more time to get help. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray. First and foremost, I ask that, Lord, you will forgive us as men how we have abused our power, how we have violated those that you have placed around us your vessels of honor, Lord God, your image, the woman that you have created to be our equal, to build and serve together. Daddy, I pray that God, you will forgive us. Father, I also pray that you will heal the women who have been violated. I pray that you will heal the women who have been abused or suffered at the hands of those that said they love them. Father, I pray that this will change. Help us, Lord, to change. Help us to change this narrative. Help us to take generational trauma to generational momentum that future generations will not have to suffer the same things we are suffering today. Help us to change this narrative. I pray, Lord God, that you bring healing to those who are in pain right now. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Family, as we take communion today, on a day like this, after the sermon we've just had, I pray that we will see the moment of communion as a moment to consecrate ourselves back to the Lord. Because communion reminds us of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Even when you are at home without a priest there, you can take communion, just like the Israelites we encourage to take communion with their families at home. So let me remind you what communion is all about. And we read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, 
This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For as long as we take the bread and the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death, the victory that he overcame for us on the cross. So we can live lives of victory because of what he has achieved for us on the cross. So please join with me as we take the bread. And after I share this with you, all of you at home, repeat after me, thanks be to God. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. For as long as you take it, do it in remembrance of me. The body of Jesus. Thanks be to God. And then he took the cup, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed. He took the cup and he said, This is the blood of the new covenant in me. For as long as you take it, do it in remembrance of me. The blood of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Father, I pray that as we take communion today, we will remember the victory that was won for us on the cross. And Lord, may we never go back to the life of sin, to a life that is displeasing to you. But may we live lives that glorifies you in the way that we treat each other, in the way that we live with one another. May we treat each other with respect, with dignity, and with honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Simon, for that incredible word. We really are encouraged, and more than that, we are challenged to use our power as men and women to protect and not to harm. I also want to ask you, if you have listened to the message today and you recognize that you are feeling far away from God and you have not made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to make the most important decision you will ever make. Really, guys, the most important decision that you will ever make, which is to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And if that is you, God is calling your name. And I want to invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Oh, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I'm far away from you. And today I repent. I turn away from my sin. And I want to make you Lord and Savior of my life. If you have prayed that prayer today, congratulations. You are a new Christian. And we are thrilled. And the next step, guys, the next step is also very important, that you contact the number below and somebody will be in touch with you. And really, we will journey with you because we believe in making disciples and we believe in discipleship. So if that's you, call that number below. Be brave, be strong, just do it. Um, if you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer for healing, um, if you need prayer for fear, anxiety, please call the number below and somebody will be in contact with you and we will really stand with you and pray with you. Also on Thursday nights, we pray every Thursday night at six o'clock, so join us. And tomorrow night, Monday evening, um, is our Marketplace Forum. We're gonna be continuing with Women's Month, August, 
and we're going to be discussing women in business. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs>